0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. Um, as my wife would say, welcome to me. Um, and uh, like Marshall said, for those of you who don't know, my name is Wesley, and uh, my wife and myself moved to um, this area just at the beginning of the pandemic, and um, it was great because we're introverts, so it was awesome. Um, no, I'm just joking. But... Uh, I'm really excited to be everyone, with everyone this morning on the second Sunday of Advent. How many of you were here for Jesus' sermon last week? Uh, it was amazing, right? I wasn't here for it, but if I was, I would have given him a standing ovation for sure. Um, and it, he spoke about sort of this idea that um, we've been praying about with the big idea with um, Advent this year is we really wanted to emphasize the gift that God gives us in the person of Jesus. And so last week he spoke all about that and it was awesome. And today I actually wanna continue that idea of the gift and talk about what it actually means to receive and then participate in the gift of Jesus. Um, And I'm gonna be upfront, it's probably not what you're gonna be expecting at first. Um, I'm actually gonna be talking about what that looks like in terms of suffering. Uh, Ever since I've become a chaplain, Suffering has become a big deal in my life. And I was talking to one of my colleagues yesterday, and I was like, my church is going to hate me because every time I talk, I'm just going to be talking about suffering, and eventually they're just not going to invite me to talk anymore. So, but with having said that, I think that it's important. Because sometimes um, in circles, in church circles, and specifically when you're a charismatic church, Um, we have to be aware that there's two sides to the kingdom. One, when we receive miracles and see a foretaste of of the life to come, and times when that doesn't happen. And sometimes navigating the times when that doesn't happen can be pretty tricky. And so we have to have a really strong theology for that. And actually, when we look to the story of Jesus, we find a theology in that. So I've been in the vineyard for a lot of my life, and one of the things that I love about the vineyard is we have these really neat catchphrases that are so simple that anyone can really understand them. One of them is, come as you are. That's, everyone says that now, but that was pretty revolutionary back in the day um, when you were expected to wear a suit and tie to church. And another one's saying, come Holy Spirit. And the one that we're going to be looking at today is everyone gets to play um, With Everyone Gets to Play, we normally think about the fact that everyone gets to receive the Holy Spirit and immediately start praying for one another. Anyone can receive the gifts of the Spirit. Anyone can serve in a team and become part of the family. There are no limits. But what's really great about that is that it's such a nice catchphrase, but on the surface it's cool, but there's such a rich theology underneath there. And it has to do with this very idea of what it means to accept Jesus' invitation to participate in the gift of his life. Um, Something that we've been talking about that's been coming up a lot in our life group, actually, is this idea of suffering and what it looks like to suffer and have joy in suffering. And I think... With the pandemic and us still living in the pandemic really, I think the idea of suffering and the idea of how fragile life is has become so prevalent in our lives that anything can change in an instant and there's nothing that you could have done to prepare you for that change. And so today we're gonna be talking about suffering, but before we get there, I wanna lay some groundwork for why this idea of participating in the life of God is so crucial. Um, and if you have your Bibles with me, you can open to Genesis. I'm not going to read it, but if you want to follow with what I'm saying, it might be helpful. So what we see in the creation account with Genesis, and a lot of you will know the, the words that God says, and it's, it's in the beginning. And then the first thing that God says is, let there be right And so, after that, we see these series of statements where God is is bringing into creation these different elements, uh, the light and the dark, the waters, the earth, the creatures, the animals. And so, each statement in the creation account you'll see says, God says, let there be, let there be, let there be, until He comes to humans. And when it comes to humans, He changes it a little bit. And he says, what does he say? Let us make humans in our image. And so I want to get a bit technical because this technical um, change in the verb that he uses is so crucial. So in all the verbs before that, it's what's called an imperative, meaning it's a commandment. It's something that God says and it happens just as it is the way God made it, right? But when it comes to the word make, it's a subjunctive word, meaning that it is contingent. And so the word make is contingent on our participation with God. That is the defining feature from humans, from every other creature on the planet is that God is looking for us to respond to him in a way in which we enter into this dynamic, interactive relationship with him. And so in a way, what I, this one Eastern Orthodox theologian who I love, John Baer, he says it like this, God's prayer is humanity itself, and he allows us to say amen. Because what's another, what is amen translated to? Let it be, so be it. And so this unique invitation that God has given to us as humanity is one in which we get to respond to God and we get to say, let it be, right? God is not looking for robots. He's looking for humans. So God then, from the beginning of time, has looked to fashion human beings in His image, not through blind obedience, but through this dynamic relationship in, we, in which we get to participate in the very life of God. And as Christians, we, um, the person we look to is not Adam. The person we look to is Jesus, Jesus is the example of what it means to be human. What it means to be human is to accept God's invitation to participate with Him. And the way we do that is not looking to Adam, but to Jesus. In Romans, Paul says that Adam was a type or a symbol of Christ, the one to come. In Ephesians, he says, even before He made the world... God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. He goes on to say that Christ is the first true human being. He is the image of the invisible God. We were created in Christ's image. And the mystery that we find out through Christ is that God had this planned from the beginning. In Jesus' trial in His death with Um, Pilate, (laughs) I was going to say Pilate, (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, with Pilate, he says, um, and I don't think this is an accident, and I think this is very intentional, and Pilate says, behold the human being. And so, in the book of John, John is giving us clues and hints to the fact that in Christ, we see God's plan come to fruition. It's the... What, what he means by saying in Christ, we see the fullness of God's plan come into being. And so when we see Christ, we can look back to creation and see this is what God's plan was all along for us to be made in Christ's image. And so to recap, God made humans to participate in the life of God voluntarily, right? That is so crucial. Number two, God's project with humanity didn't finish with Adam, but with Jesus. There's some scholars that say that when Jesus says it is finished, he's actually referring not to just the fact that his ministry is finished, but the fact that God's project from the beginning of time is now finished with Jesus. When we participate in the gift of Jesus, we become who God made us to be. And that last one is really important. When we look to Jesus, when we participate in the life of Jesus, we are becoming who God created us to be. We are participating with God's grand, mysterious project in humanity, in Him, in us giving ourselves to Him so that He can mold us into the type of people He is wanting. All right, how are we doing? We are good? Okay, so we've just been flying at 30,000 feet, right? And I love to do that because then I don't have to feel anything. So, um, it's awesome. So, uh, now we are actually going to go and we're going to drop down to the ground level. And as we just saw, we are celebrating the second week of Advent. And so, I wanted to look at Jesus' birth through a set of eyes, which sometimes we don't always look through. And that's Mary's eyes. And so I'm going to read um, Jesus' birth narrative real quick, and it's in Luke 2. And it says, at the time, um, I don't know if we have the slide or not, but at the time the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that, uh, no, okay, we don't have it, never mind, okay, so I'm just going to read it. So at the time the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her her baby to be born. She gave birth to a firstborn son, she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. So now the question that we're looking at is, okay, so we've got the fact that our job is to participate in the life of God, in the life of Jesus. So then now the question is, what does that look like? What does it look like to participate in the life of Jesus? And I think one of the best lenses we can look at this through is through the lens of Jesus, uh, through the lens of Mary, Jesus' mom. Now, we Protestants tend to just stay clear of Mary. We have this aversion to Mary, and I think it's because we're worried if we take Mary too seriously, we may slip up and call her divine or something. God forbid we become too Catholic, but, um, because that would be bad. But anyways, I think especially in this season of Advent, where we are looking to Jesus' birth and what this means, we can look at it through Mary's eyes. And so I want to start off by having us imagine for a brief moment the journey that Mary took up until Jesus' birth. She was a Jewish woman who was getting ready to be married and live a Jewish life and what that meant, um, to live a life as a Jew back then, and until an angel came and appeared to her and told her that she was going to give birth to the Son of God. Now, I've heard people tell me what they think she must have been experiencing. Some people said, well, how would you like it if you got told that you were pregnant and by not your choice, your own? And I was like, oh, I don't want to go there. Um, But I think that we can pick up something from Mary's prayer. And for those who, I'm not going to read it today, but in Mary's prayer, we see her response to this news that she's received. And it's such a wonderful and beautiful prayer. And so the way I imagine it is that Mary is so thrilled and that she's got so much joy in knowing that she gets to bear this responsibility of carrying the Son of God. I can't even begin to imagine what that must feel like. And then if we go with her after that, right after she hears this, um, this amazing news, what happens right after that? She starts to get ostracized by her community. People are spreading rumors about her. She is pregnant and she is not married. It, that has become less stigmatized today, but back then, oh my goodness, in a Jewish community, she should have been, she would have been faced so much persecution, so much abuse, emotional abuse abuse just because that she was saying yes to God, and she received God's news with joy. And then she had to flee her country and become a refugee because the whole state was looking for her. She had a fiancé who was incredibly unsure of what to do, and she was homeless. Mary went from hearing she's going to give birth to the Son of God and all the feelings that come with that and the joy that comes with that to then immediately facing isolation, exile, and homelessness. And I don't know, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I go through that when I s- receive a good news from God. And then right after that, some trouble will come, and I'm like, wait, this is not adding up for me. This is not making sense. And that happens all the time because it's part of life with God. She then, after days of searching for a place to house them, found a place that was more like a courtyard in a house where the animals were kept. And she gave birth with a bunch of animals around her, really. Another way of saying this, I think it's safe to say that Mary was not only endured the suffering of birthing Jesus but all the suffering that came from the journey to giving birth to him too. Now, I wanna fully recognize that I am not a woman. I know, shocker. And I will never know the reality of what a mom goes through when giving birth. My wife hasn't given birth, and so I haven't witnessed that firsthand, but I have friends whose faces change when they describe their experience. And I have also watched the movie Knocked Up and can tell you that just from watching that movie, it reveals a lot about the suffering that happens when giving birth. And I can imagine why there's so many biblical images that relate to suffering to birth because it's so powerful. The dictionary defines suffering as someone who undergoes, endures, or experiences pain. So I would say it's a pretty good description of what Mary was going through um, during that time. And so now looking at her birth, I just want to fast forward through the rest of Jesus' life because we don't have time. I would love to, but it's Sunday and we've got to go eat. I want to fast forward to Jesus' death. And in the day of Jesus' death, we see Mary was present there. And she was present at his death. In John, it says, standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, which was John, he said to her, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. To say I can't even begin to imagine what it must have been like for a mom to sit at the feet of her son and watch him be crucified and be 100% completely helpless, be ignored by everyone around you because being a woman at that time meant you were basically less than human. My heart breaks just thinking about what Mary was going through. Working at a hospital as a chaplain, there is nothing that will strike at your very heart than hearing a mother scream who has just lost her child. Nothing will pierce your ears and heart more than the bellow that comes from that scream. Mary shows us how to love in the way that she suffers with Jesus on the cross. Rowan Williams says love of neighbor rather than being a chosen policy of personal behavior is grounded in the necessary exposure of the baptized believer in human pain we are unavoidably co-sufferers so what we see in mary and in this quote is that as disciples of jesus who are saying yes to jesus We are saying yes to the life that he is inviting us into. We don't go looking for suffering. That is very important. We don't go and try and make up suffering. Rather, we open ourselves up to the suffering that is already around us. When the world turns it back on those who suffer, we go towards them. That is what it means to take a risk. We have another saying in the vineyard, I know, that faith is spelt r a s k. And what again, what that has come for us to come to know is that that takes a risk in praying for someone or saying a word for someone where we might be wrong about it and it may look as look, we may look stupid saying it. But what that's actually saying is that we are willing to lay our lives down for the betterment of someone else. We are willing to go towards someone, be with them in their suffering, as opposed to staying cozy and not doing it. That is where we learn what it's like to be like Jesus. The way in which Mary took up her cross to love her son was not in being better than Jesus, but being willing to to co-suffer with Jesus. This is what it means to be adopted into the church. Rowan Williams goes on to say, to live in the body of Christ is to adopt all others. Each of us adopts the whole body of Christ for itself. And the calling of the believer is to bring Christ more fully to birth in every encounter or relationship. If we are unavoidably committed to sharing suffering because of our solidarity in the body, we are equally committed to seeing every other, uh, seeing in every other a potential child of God. This is what it means to participate and receive the gift of life in Jesus. I think it's striking that in Jesus' climax of suffering, he acknowledges the people that are with him. I don't know about you, but I think we've gotten this idea of this stoic heroism, be like save yourselves, I will do this by myself, right? And we don't find that in Jesus. Jesus does not tell his mom to go away. Mom, don't look, don't look. He doesn't do that. And what he does is instead he points them to each other and acknowledges that their relationship now takes on a form that is stronger than what it was before. It takes on the form that's the strongest relationship known to humanity, that of the bond of a mother and child. We see this... um, How many of you are familiar with the road to Damascus? Again, when one of you... Cool. So, (laughs) maybe I shouldn't... Okay. So, in the road to Damascus, when Paul's on his way to persecute the church, Jesus... um, He encounters Jesus. And what's so interesting is Jesus doesn't say... Paul, why are you persecuting them? What does he say? Paul, why are you persecuting me? We become so closely identified with Jesus. And again, that story is relating to suffering. Paul was on his way to persecute Christians, Christians that were under persecution. And so there's something that happens when we we go through the suffering with people. There's a transformation that happens. There's a healing that happens when that happens. So this happens with us as we are baptized into the body of Christ, and we become identified with Jesus as we participate in Jesus' life. Our lives take on a new dimension, so to speak, as we become co-sufferers together in the life of Jesus. Jesus. And so the life of the receiver of God's gift is one marked by suffering, and I would argue even more importantly, our willingness, or just as importantly, our willingness to being exposed to those who are suffering and to be with them through it. This is why being a Christian is not easy. This is this is why. I, one of the uh, one of the, uh, like an OG pastor in the vineyard, his name is Steve Nicholson, and I will never forget um, his story about um, this um, pastor that came, he was not inside the vineyard, he was not part of the vineyard, and he came to talk to the vineyard about his experience of being a missionary, and he went to go um, and he talked about all the troubles that were happening in different countries. One of them was being, Um, I think China at the time, and, and he gave these really, really touching stories, but also really just heartbreaking stories about what was happening to people. And the response that he got from the people in this church was a flood of people coming up to him saying, how can we get there? That was the response that he received. And he said he's never seen a man break down in tears more because of a response of people willing to risk their lives to go and be with those who are suffering. And that is a unique gift that Jesus gives us. My dad, I might get tearful. My dad recently died. By the way, when someone close to you dies, it's good to say that they died and not that they passed on because sometimes saying they passed on or they gone is not acknowledging the reality of what's happening. But my my dad died and I will never forget. We were in the waiting room and the doctor came and said, I think it's time that we remove life support. And we still had a bit of hope then. We had a bit of hope. We thought there was a chance he could still make it and the news was crushing um, it It didn't make sense. My dad had just had a heart transplant, and so we were expecting this new life with my dad. Um, we were expecting further relationship with my dad, and hearing that news was devastating and I immediately texted my my best friend back in south africa and He had known me my whole life. We grew up next door together, and he's seen my family go through everything. He knows my family best, as anyone I know. And I remember texting him after hearing the news, and he immediately called me. And all we did was cry for like 20 minutes. We didn't say a lot, but he just sat with me and cried. Fast forward like a month later I was here and we were having an account worship night and I just remember these warm hands come over my back. It was only the warm hands of Jace. And Jace just started rubbing my back and he just put his head on my shoulder and started weeping with me. At one point I think he was crying more than me but if you know Jace that's not unusual. <laughs> but what they did was that they were willing to feel the pain not on the same level you can't do that but they were willing to feel the pain with me they didn't say oh your dad's in heaven now it's okay right they didn't say oh we're fine because i wasn't fine right i wasn't fine but my pain was not taken away, instead it was transformed and it's now become a source of healing for me. Their willingness to be with me in that time has become a source of healing and a memory that now I can look back on. They weren't trying to build a bridge across the valley, they went into the valley with me. This is what it means to be with one another. And when we go with one another through that, we are transformed and we taste we taste a bit of the resurrection life to come. We get a glimpse of the humanity and the life that is to come when all suffering is gone, but we see the fullness of humanity. Until Jesus brings resurrection to us, we live here and we accept the cup Jesus passes to us take up our cross and learn to love each other by being with each other even in suffering and in doing this we become identified with Jesus himself. And we participate and we become the human being God intended on creating since the beginning of time. This is the human being God is making. A corporate body of people learning to love one another. I like to say to my patients that are experiencing grief and not showing how to hold hope at the same time because the pain is so hard and you're like, I don't know how to hope in this time. And what I like to say is that hope and the hope of the resurrection life creates an incubator for us to grieve and suffer. Because of our knowledge of the resurrection, because we know that Jesus' last day was not the cross, but three days later when he rose and was resurrected. And we view his story backwards. We are not where Mary was, we look at it backwards and because we have that privilege, we can know that we can face the suffering and all that entails, because through the suffering, we find resurrection. Through the suffering, we receive the fullness of resurrection life we can't avoid it we can't go around it we want to i know we want to go around it but we can't be resurrected unless we die first and now no i'm just joking now on a also really big note is that i am really really excited to announce that starting next year we are going to be celebrating the Eucharist, every single week. We are going to be partaking communion together every single week. And I'm hoping my sermon sort of hints to why that's important. (laughs) If it doesn't, then I haven't done my job. But in the Eucharist, we recognize the life of Jesus and His death on the cross and the suffering that comes with that. But we also recognize that it doesn't stop there. In the Eucharist, we are invited to participate in the gift and the life of Jesus and join Him with one another. In the Eucharist, we recognize the life we live now while we eagerly await the kingdom to come. As we eat the bread, we recognize this is Jesus' body, and at the same time, we recognize we are also Jesus' body. We find the life of joy that, coming, that comes in giving up our lives for Jesus and each other. There is no greater joy and no greater love than that. I'll end off with Rowan Williams again who says, but to take up the cross and follow Christ for the Christian, not a question of taking inspiration from a great teacher. Or exemplar but of sacramental identification with Christ.